T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. If you don't like the cold weather and you're complaining, thank goodness you're not where our next guest is, Oberlin, Ohio, where it is cloudy and 24. Now, that sounds sweet to me, but some of the people here don't like it. With that, we welcome in Dr. Jillian Scudder, Associate Professor of Physics and Astronomy at Oberlin College and an author of three books on astronomy for the general public. And we're going to have a fun hour talking about space. If you have any questions or comments, 504-260-1870, and I'll pass them along. With that, we welcome in Dr. Jillian Scudder. Good morning, Doctor. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Tell me about your books. Well, uh, the first one started out as a blog. So what I did was I set up a, basically an open ask box. I said, what do you want to know about space? And I had people send in questions, and then I sat down and tried to answer those questions. So it turned out to be a really strange book because it was entirely in response to other people's questions, and it's not what I would have thought to write about. That was good fun. Um, The second one is a fully illustrated version of the same, so it's a really, really pretty book. Um, But it's all question and answer, call and response for what people were curious about. And the third one is coming in February, and is uh, nonsense-sounding things that we know about outer space and how we know them. <laughs> um, what are some of the questions in, in the books? What, what did people want to know about space? Because I got, Doctor, I got to tell you, I got about a thousand of them, and you're going to have to suffer a fool gladly for an hour. Because let me just oh, let me just say of this. <laughs> let me say this. Yeah. When when I think of space and it going on into infinity, I get dizzy because I just can't handle yeah. it. What are some yeah, of the questions? It's not uncommon. It's really not good. I'm glad to hear that because you, th- yeah, you figure it's, <laughs> it's got to end somewhere. And it's like, well, no, it can't. Well, it's got to. No, it doesn't. Well, and where no, does it? No, it just what? keeps going. And what's at the end of it? <laughs> Nothing. What? How? More. It can't more, be. More. I'm getting dizzy. Hang on. Slow down. <laughs> um, but what are some of the questions that people ask, really? Um, I get a lot of things about, like, things that you can see in the night sky, which is very understandable because it's the most accessible uh, thing for most people. Mm -hmm. Looking up, seeing the stars, wondering what's there, how old are they, how out of date is that information, why are some of them so much brighter than others. Um, Lots of questions about the moon, um, uh, how the tides work, why we only ever see one side of the moon. and then lots of questions about things that uh, have kind of caught the public imagination, like black holes and um, st- stars exploding and things like that. Uh, so it's been a good mix in the end. All right, let me start with the moon, because yeah. the moon does rotate, does it not? It does. But why do we only see one side of it then? 
because it rotates at exactly the same speed that it goes around the Earth. Oh, I don't think that's right. I think you need to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it rotates. It's a very stable configuration. So, yeah, it rotates once every month. Because um, if it didn't rotate, then we would see all sides of it. Um, but because it is turning just a little bit as it moves around the Earth, we're only ever seeing the near side of it. So did the astronauts that, well, the astronaut that orbited, well, I guess they did orbit, and then some of them did, some of them didn't, they have seen that side of the moon. There are only a handful of people that have seen that side of the moon, or, and I'm not trying to be stupid here, because I could be stupid, doctor, without trying, was it <laughs> too dark for them to see anything? Ah, so when there's a... Full moon, mm -hmm. the near side of the moon is fully lit. When it's a new moon, we see very little illuminated side of the, the, the near the, the near side of the moon is dark, but it's the far side of the moon that is fully illuminated. So the far side of the moon is uh, bright just as often as the near side. Just they alternate back and forth. All right, let me let me go with this one now. How okay. in the world? Could Galileo and these people way back when determine all of the information that they did? Because that just blows my mind. I can't understand. <laughs> I still can't understand it. And these guys were doing this back in what? The what? 1500s? Jordan, help me out. When was Galileo around? 1600s? What have you? How, how yeah. did all of that happen? And how, how can you, with math, figure all these things out? Very carefully. There, well, Everything there you go. <laughs> I mean, the thing with science is that it all builds on what came before. Mm -hmm. So Galileo was building on what had come before, mm -hmm. and we build on our understanding from what Galileo taught us and what Copernicus taught us and a whole bunch of the people, the scientists that are working now, how we build up an understanding over time. So Galileo's understanding of the universe was much smaller than our understanding of the universe. Galileo was studying the moons around Jupiter and the phases of Venus, and we learned about the solar system. But there was no concept of the galaxy at that time and the galaxy that we live in, and that there are infinite more galaxies. So we built up and built out over time, but it was careful observations over time. Let, let's talk about there. galaxies. Let's talk about the, the, yeah. the, quality, the uh, classifications that we have here. So we are in the Milky Way galaxy, is that right? Mm-hmm. And then that is only one of how many galaxies? Infinite. How do we know this? Well, it goes back to this, the universe doesn't end business. But how do we know that? Uh, well, uh, one piece of evidence for it is I don't mean to cross-examine you, doctor. I'm just trying no, to understand this. No, this is totally this. fine. Okay. Um, yeah, so one of the pieces of evidence for it is that in any direction we look, there are uh, basically the same number of galaxies. And so if there were going to be an edge to the universe or it stopped at some point, there would be fewer galaxies in that direction because we're closer to that boundary point in that direction. So either we're in the exact middle or it just keeps going. And being in the exact middle is so unlikely for us that the more plausible explanation is that it just keeps going. Um, so functionally speaking, yeah, infinite galaxies. Maybe you can help me then with this. How did you come to accept the fact that the universe is infinite, that there's no beginning, no end? That it, how did you? How can you wrap your mind around that? Because I struggle with this. I do. Mm. 
Um, well, wait, to be fair, I struggle with a lot of things when it comes to my <laughs> mind, but particularly this one. I think for this one, there, I mean, there is a boundary on what we can see. So there is a limit to how far away we can observe. And then there is what we believe is actually present, which is more than what we can observe. But that's true of a lot of things, that there is more than we can actually see. And so that's kind of where I sit. Of, yes, there's limitations to what we can observe. There is more. Uh, we will never get to see that more, but there is more. And so that's where I kind of put my acceptance is on, okay, yeah, there are limitations. We're not going to see the everything that is there, but we are going to see a lot and we can learn a lot about what is observable. And then the rest of it should follow along and play by all the same rules. So right. the, the questions um, are I don't need to be stressed by it. The questions <laughs> are pouring in. I'll get to the audience's question in a second, but first let me ask one for me because I'm almost 50 and I should have known this by now, but I don't. And that is how does the effect? How does the moon affect tides? Mm. So the moon, the moon creates the tides by virtue of being large and relatively nearby. Okay. So what you get is gravity pulls stronger from the moon on the near side of the Earth than it does on the far side of the Earth relative to the moon. And now meanwhile, the and Earth so that, is turning, and the moon is turning too. Yes. Okay. So the Earth is spinning and moving. pretty rapidly. Spinning and moving. And, and, and moving around yeah. the sun. And the moon is moving around the Earth. And so in whatever line the moon and Earth have between them, the side of the Earth that's facing the moon has high tide. And so if you are near the ocean, um, one of the ways to check for like what tide is it, is a high or low tide, is to see if the moon is up. Because uh, if it's overhead, then it's high tide. If it's at the horizon, then you've got low tide. So it's just the fact that it's large and nearby and it pulls by gravity. And the oceans are easier to pull than rock. Rock doesn't like to bend. How, how does somebody like you get so smart and how can I stay so dumb? You ponder that while we take a break, okay? And then we'll come back with some questions that are coming in for Dr. Jillian Scudder. Associate Professor of Physics and Astronomy at Oberlin College and an author of three books on astronomy for the general public. I think that'd be some pretty awesome Christmas gifts. I don't know if it's too late to order or not, but this amazes me, and I have so many questions. I know y'all are texting your questions in at 504-260-1870, and I'll get to them in a second. We're talking about space and, and the universes and the infinite nature of all of that. Can you wrap your mind around that or not? And, you know, if this goes on into infinity, well, then it's hard to believe. To me, it would be pretty egocentric to think that we are the only thing that is in the entire universe as opposed to galaxies. Tommy Tucker, glad you're with us. We're talking to Dr. Jillian Scudder. Expand your mind, if you will. 504-260-1870. Back in a flash. WWL. It is 927, and we're talking to Dr. Jillian Scudder, Associate Professor of Physics and Astronomy at Oberlin College and author of three books on astronomy for the general public. Doctor, you can get those books at all of the usual outlets? All the usual outlets, yes. And it's S-C-U-D-D-E-R, if you want to look that, that up. That is correct. Um, let's talk about Artemis and the moon. Uh, yeah. It, it just seems like... 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. From what you've described with the universe, going to the moon would seem tantamount to walking to your front door and getting your mail. And getting your mail. When, when the whole world <laughs> is it about like that, and and what should we go to the moon again? Can we learn anything else from that? Or if we hope to, to uh, go to different distant places, do we set that up as a station? I'm just curious about all that. Yeah, so I mean, it is kind of. I mean, on the cosmic scale, it is a bit like going out the front door, but um, it's a bit like going out the front door in the middle of the polar vortex, right? So okay. you can't just stroll on out. Um, you need to be careful and protect yourself and make sure that you don't die out there. Um, so it is quite a challenge even just to make it to the moon, even though it is, cosmically speaking, right there. Um, but there is a lot to learn from the moon. We've only been uh, six times um, like to land and, and get stuff from there. And so we've only got rocks from the moon in six from six places and only one of those was picked up by an actual rock scientist we only sent geologists there ever so there's lots to learn um i think a lot of the the plan is if we ever hope to go set up an establishment on mars we will need to have practiced living off earth and the moon is a lot safer because it only takes three days to get there so if there is an emergency then it only takes three days to get back um, whereas if you're going to Mars, it's going to take years. So you have to have really a fully self-sufficient settlement there. What kind of emergency? What have you heard? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, anything can happen, right? That's kind of the problem. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the Goldilocks zone. What is that? It's this zone where uh, you are neither too hot nor too cold in the way of the Goldilocks porridge mm -hmm. um, so that your planet can support liquid water. And that's important because we think that water is one of the base needs for life to exist. And so if you're looking for interesting planets where you might have growing things, then you want to find these planets that are neither too hot nor too cold. So it's not frozen over or boiling, but just the right temperature so that you can have water. So how do we determine, given the technology we have now and how, how big the universe is and the different galaxies, is it possible that there is some kind of parallel universe out there or there's another planet that's exactly like Earth? Because it seems to me... It would be terribly egocentric to think that we're all in this vast universe that we're the only thing that they have. Yeah, so statistically, it's very likely that there are other planets like Earth out there somewhere. Um, but statistically, also, they're going to be very far away uh, because of the enormity of how much space we've got to work with. But, yeah, it, we are hunting for planets, mostly in our own galaxy, for interesting planets that are kind of Earth-like. We haven't found anything identical to Earth, um, and I don't know that we will, but we have found some planets that are promisingly Earth-ish. Uh, <laughs> like, like where? If I wanted to buy some real estate, where would I be looking? 
Uh, you'd be looking uh, about 40 light years away. Uh, <laughs> well, imagine so what the prices got- will be by the time I get there. But okay, yeah. <laughs> 40 light years okay. away. Um, so there, there is a, a structure, a set of uh, exoplanets um, detected by the TRAPPIST survey, which, um, and some of them are roughly Earth-sized and roughly at the right distance from their star where they might have water. Go slow, the I'm problem, getting dizzy. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the problems that we have is that we can say that if this planet has a rocky surface and it has an atmosphere, then it might have liquid water. But those two things are kind of hard to um, be sure of, to say, like, oh, yeah, this planet definitely has rock and definitely has an atmosphere, and so it definitely has water. Those are tricky questions to answer. So how would you determine from a distance if, if like, you could breathe without a helmet? I know that sounds dumb, but I don't know how else you would do it, right? Yeah, it's well, this is one of the active things that people are trying to do, and it's really hard because what you have to look for is tiny, tiny flickers of light where the light from the planet or the light from the star has gone through whatever tiny atmosphere is there. And then we can measure, like, is there oxygen in there? Is there nitrogen in there? You're talking about 40 yeah. light years away? Yeah. Explain how, how far away that is, please, to the layman like myself. Okay, so it takes uh, so 93 million miles from the Earth to the sun. It takes light eight minutes to travel that distance. So a planet that's 40 light years away, is the light from that star or that, the, the planet takes 40 years to arrive to us. So the light that you're nice. seeing flickering, maybe from a neon sign, I don't know, would be... Yeah, I mean, it's from the sun of, the, oh. of that planet. Oh, happened 40, it's 40 years ago. That's yeah. when we're seeing it now. Yeah. Wow. That's the fastest we can get information from that star. So any but information... Close. But any information <laughs> we have is 40 years dated then, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, how do you get past exactly. that? You can't. Oh, well, I guess <laughs> we're just stuck with that one. Yeah, I guess so. So, geez, I don't even know where to go from here. Um, so <laughs> this we is the problem with outer space. We can see planets that are forty light years away, or suns from those planets. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, we can see. We can we can learn that there are planets there, but the bright thing that is our, our beacon is the star around which that planet orbits. So what we can watch is when the planet goes in front of the star from our perspective, it blocks a tiny amount of light, and we can see that. So we can say, ah, something is going around that planet and blocking light from that star. How far can... That... I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. How far can we peer into the universe with telescopes, or do we... Do we uh, are these... Um calculations where we're thinking this is what we're seeing or we know that's what we're seeing through a telescope? This is what we're seeing. We okay. are actually observing this. Um, so depending on what you're looking for, it uh, we can go further and further back in time where the, the light has traveled for a longer and longer period. So if you're looking for planets, you really have to stay within the Milky Way. And so you're within, um, I think, 100 light years, so 100 years out of date. If you're looking for uh, very bright things, um, which are easier to spot, you can go really far back. Um, so the oldest light in the universe 
is about 13 billion years old. That's as far back as we've been able to see. Wow. Um, <laughs> let me take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Jillian Scudder, Associate Professor of Physics and Astronomy at Oberlin College and author of three books on astronomy for the general public. And, of course, we're going to talk about the search for life elsewhere when we come back. 935, 25 till 10. Traffic now, WWL. Okay, 942.18 before 10. Tommy Tucker quickly back to Dr. Jillian Scudder. Doctor, you're lucky I don't live next door to you. You couldn't put your garbage out. You couldn't put your garbage out with me hammering you with questions. Associate (laughs) Professor of Physics and Astronomy at Oberlin College. She wrote three books. One of them is The Milky Way Smells of Rum and Raspberries. The galaxy is flatter than a credit card? Yeah. What? (laughs) So the galaxy is shaped like a very, very thin pancake. Um, and so in trying to figure out how proportionally how thin, I was sitting down and figuring out what objects near us, if you cut a circle roughly the size of the Milky Way or you know a circle out of it, if the size across versus height would be right. And so uh, a piece of paper is too thin. Um, a pizza is too thick, but uh, two credit cards is about right. But wait, if that's the case, then that would mean it would end at the top of the second credit or at the top of the first or the end of the second credit card. Or the top. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours. The energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. For the bottom, wouldn't it? So it would be the galaxy itself. Has most of its stars are pretty thinly spread. Um, so there's a, a little bit of stuff above and below, but um, the majority of it is is very very thin. So that would and indicate. So, yeah, the mid- there is a top or a bottom? To the Milky Way, yeah. Oh, the Milky Way. Okay, not the universe. I get it. No, the universe. The Milky Way. Our galaxy is has edges-ish. <laughs> it kind of peters out in all directions. I thought I had you on that one. Um, <laughs> supermassive black holes can sing a super low B-flat. What does that mean? Yes. Um, so any musical note can be thought of as uh, a sound wave. Well, it is a sound wave. Um, but most musical notes that we encounter are within the range of human hearing. Uh, but it, you can have notes that are down below the range of human hearing. And as long as you have a pressure wave, then and it's at the right cadence, it can be a note. And so supermassive black holes occasionally blow bubbles that are, have the right cadence to be a note on the keyboard. And in that particular case, it's a B-flat but it's like 80 octaves down. Are you telling me the universe is breaking wind, Doctor? Is that what you're telling me? I mean, that's one way to think about it, sure. Okay. (laughs) Um, What about this, the Milky Way smells of rum and raspberries? Was this concocted during the Christmas party or what? How how did this come up? (laughs) Um, So we've been hunting for interesting chemicals in the Milky Way for a long time. One of the reasons is we're looking to see how easy it is to 
make amino acids, which are the precursors for life on Earth. Um, but uh, in the meantime, we're finding all sorts of interesting things in the middle of the uh, Milky Way. And one of them is a compound that on Earth uh, is responsible for uh, the smell of rum and the flavor of raspberries. So it technically, you have this compound that for us, we associate with rum and raspberries, but it's just hanging out in a gas cloud in the middle of the Milky Way. Let me get to a text here. Thank you. This intelligent and enlightening conversation. Such a refreshing way to start the day. I totally agree with this texter. Um, somebody else wants to know if there is... How can there be infinite galaxies if the amount of matter in the universe is finite? Uh, it isn't. Uh, that's what I figured. It's based yeah. on a false presumption. Yeah, there's, a, there's infinite matter. I mean, there's matter and... Yeah, you have a matter density, like the amount of matter per unit area is finite, uh, but then the area that you have keeps going. All right, let's talk about life on other planets or other galaxies in other galaxies. Uh, do, do you, first of all, do you think we've been visited by people or whatever from other planets or galaxies yourself personally? No. No. Okay. Good. Um, well, no, because <laughs> no, because it's good because that would mean if you believed it, then I would think, well, maybe we have. Um, do you think that is likely to happen? Ever? No. No. Tell me no. why not. Space is way too big. Okay. It would take them too um, long the, to get here. Yeah. Basically, um, even if they knew we were here, one, they'd probably be so far away that travel would be impossible. Mm -hmm. Um, and well, it's very unlikely. <laughs> the traffic in space is much lighter, yeah. um, but the the distance is there. But then even finding um, that we exist here is so unlikely because there are so many planets to check. Um, but even if they knew we were here, the travel time would just be impossible because the odds are pretty good that they're going to be really far away. I know you're a scientist and you don't think things, you you prove things, but do you allow yourself to think that maybe there is some life form somewhere in another galaxy in the universe that could resemble us or not? Well, I think there's very likely to be some kind of life elsewhere in the universe somewhere. Mm -hmm. I don't think it will resemble us because we are a series of accidents and adaptations to planet Earth very specifically. Um, and any other form of life will be growing up on a planet that might be similar to Earth but won't be the same. And that planet's history will be different from ours. And so the odds of other forms of life coming out looking like humans at all um, – seems pretty slim because i don't know about you but i've got some complaints about body construction uh, <laughs> <laughs> i would not put make these sets of decisions myself <laughs> you've got complaints i had to text somebody yesterday that was giving me a hard time that they thought jesus was five five just to rub that in their face so yes we all have concerns doctor um <laughs> When it comes to what are we doing, what are we putting out there? Are we putting things out there to see if anybody responds or anything responds? We have, we have sent a couple of, I mean, we had a couple of messages that we've sent out very deliberately. Um, and then we have things like the Pioneer plaque. So this is a plaque attached to the Pioneer spacecraft. 
that had a whole bunch of things on it. And um, the Voyager Golden Record is probably one of the more famous versions where we recorded sounds of Earth um, onto um, basically a like a vinyl, but made of gold mm. so that it wouldn't uh, fall apart in space. Um, but it has whale song and people saying hello in different languages and bird song and all sorts of the sounds of Earth um, that we sent, which I think is a really charming way of uh, sending out uh, what here is what Earth is and what Earth um, maybe was by the time it is ever received, if it is, Jordan, if it is ever received. Yeah, Jordan tells me in my ear they put Tuesday's show on that as well. That was a compliment, Jordan. I'm glad they did that. Um, when it comes to... Um, anybody communicating with us if we ever gotten anything that indicates there is anything out there that's trying to get in touch with us anything unexplained any mysteries i mean there are lots of mysteries none of them are aliens unfortunately um we have we have lots of unexplained things like huh that's weird i wonder what that is but we almost all of them have some kind of non intelligent life explanation of like there's some weird explosion that we don't understand or something went blip and we don't know why. Um, But in terms of receiving a message from any kind of intelligent other civilization, no, there's been nothing. How how do you Um, see it? It hasn't kept us from looking. (laughs) How do you see it all ending? Which? The earth. (laughs) The earth? Yeah. Uh, the, The sun will reach the end of its functional lifetime Uh, in about 3 billion years, Mm -hmm. and it will expand. And at that time, um, the expansion of the sun may or may not, uh, I mean, it will char the earth to a fried crisp, but it might also just uh, evaporate the earth. Um, But but to be clear, that's 3 billion years from now. 3 billion with a B, Yeah, don't start running up the credit cards or anything. It's going to be a long time. No. not on a human time scale, no. Um, but Doc- that is how the the Earth ends. <laughs> Doctor, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed talking to you, how much the audience is responding to you and, and love hearing from you. I hope you come back and, and spend some more time with us because it is just a fascinating, a fascinating mind-enlightening um, conversation. Uh, tell me about the books again, please. So the books are Astroquizzical, Solving the Cosmic Puzzles of Our Planets, Stars, and Galaxies, the Illustrated Edition, which is out now, and The Milky Way, Smells of Rum and Raspberries, and Other Amazing Cosmic Facts, which is coming in February 14th. And your, and your name is Jillian Scudder, S-C-U-D-D-E-R. Scudder. Hey, doctor, can you think Thanks, of a sir. really big, complicated word to use that we may not know what it is? Paragalacticon. Good. You just won a 100-year anniversary WWL mug. I give one away for people that improve the vocabulary of the audience. What was that word again? Paragalacticon. What does that mean? It is uh, the furthest part in an object's orbit away from the center of the galaxy. Congratulations. Jordan will get your information, and I'll send your Yeti mug out. This is a nice nice piece of coffeeware. Thank you, Doctor. Have a, a happy holiday season, okay? You too. Appreciate Thanks for having me. It. Dr. Jillian Scudder, 953. More when we come back on WWL. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.